0: Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: Putin says he's only targeting military targets.
2: Bullshit. Sorry. Where is military target? This building is military target. Russia has turned the Ukrainian sky into a source of death for thousands of people. Russian troops have already fired nearly 1,000 missiles at Ukraine, countless bombs. They use drones to kill us with precision.
1: The
0: first clip was Mayor Klitschko there uh, dealing with the claim by the Russians that they're only targeting military installations, which who the hell is that for? And then uh, someone walking the streets looking at the devastation and ruin of apartments and schools and the rest of it. Uh, we are joined now by the ill, the down-but-not-out co-host
1: of The Armstrong and Getty Show, Jack Armstrong. Jack, how are you feeling? Uh, not very good. Well, I'm laying in bed and reading the news, and I see. So Zelensky spoke earlier to Congress asking for a no-fly zone. That ain't going to happen. Even Lindsey Graham said no. So if Lindsey Graham's not on board, you're never going to get it. Uh but joe biden is going to speak later today and he's going to announce nearly one billion dollars in aid for ukraine that's a lot of money yeah it is what form that takes is obviously the big question but uh it definitely seems to be a doubling down on the we're going to arm the hell out of you uh strategy yeah with the talk of these new um switchblade units that can take out tanks and artillery and whatever so uh they're gonna have the best stuff around i have no idea how this is gonna turn out neither does anybody else you know
0: to that question i was really intrigued by this story um doing a year's work in two weeks that's a quote technical experts on wednesday finished synchronizing ukraine's and moldova's power grids with the european unions with europe's An important step in ensuring a stable electric supply. The grids were previously connected to the Russian and Belarusian ones. The plan to connect the continental European grid has long been in place and was expected to be put into effect sometime next year, but the invasion precipitated the switch. Now, if Ukraine is completely devastated, this is going to take a long time to come to fruition, but it looks like Putin has driven a fairly neutral but westward-leaning
1: Ukraine just straight into the arms of Europe. One of the worst calculations in world history was his invasion of Ukraine. Uh, it's going uh, to change Russia. It's certainly going to change Putin's life forever. Um, but going to go through a heck of a period before we get there. Um, the world is getting a chance to see what it would have been like if the first strain of COVID to hit had been Omicron instead of something else. As Omicron is going, if it had happened before there was a vaccine, as Omicron is going through China now where the old people aren't vaccinated and it's killing 5% of the people who catch the disease, which is way higher than any other number that has happened at any point in the entire COVID thing. If you remember back, uh, the, the worst spots of COVID that happened over the years um, remember, at the very beginning, it was Italy. Then it was uh, we went through a period where it was uh, the UK and Portugal, and then uh, places in Africa and that sort of thing it had terrible spikes of deaths, but nothing like what's going on in China right now. Because Omicron, everybody gets it. You can't stop it from spreading. You just can't. It's mm-hmm. impossible. And the fact that we're still wearing masks and whatever is just idiotic. But we talk well, about that. Well, it's hilarious. All really, yeah. But this is what would, what it would have been like if Omicron had been the disease before the vaccine got here. It would wiped would have wiped out millions and millions of people. 5% yeah. of the cases are lethal. That's amazing. Wow. A couple of
0: things at work there that I happen to be reading about. Number one, uh, Chinese vaccination numbers are low. I don't have them in front of me, but they're pretty low. And Two-thirds shockingly- of
1: the people over
0: 80 aren't vaccinated. I was just going to say they're shockingly high among... The elderly and I read a bunch of quotes. The, the people don't trust the government. You think we have a problem with cynicism here? Imagine you've been living under a communist system. They don't believe a freaking word. Plus, the vaccine that they do have isn't nearly as effective as the uh, as the Western ones, and you have virtually no natural immunity. From the less contagious sorts, uh, because they
1: went with the zero right. COVID fantasy for a long time. Right. Yeah. You know, no. Na- no natural immunity at all, and uh, and they're unvaccinated, and so now, if uh, I mean, how different would we all be reacting to COVID if one out of twenty cases ended in death? One out of twenty. That's it. it would
0: have been a, a cataclysm like we can't even picture. I right. mean, I can't even imagine the the mass graves and and you know entire office buildings being commandeered to turn them into hospitals or whatever
1: yeah just a well, nightmare well and the, and the paranoia about ever leaving your house i would not have wanted to leave my house if one out of 20 cases was deadly and that's what they got in hong kong right now and it's spreading through other cities in china wow they could they they could be in for a bad uh, several weeks or several months Yeah, Kevin, the invaluable COVID
0: correspondent, uh, who earlier today, Jack, you weren't on because you are ill, wished us a happy two-year anniversary of the two weeks to slow the spread.
1: Yeah, Um, it's funny. The date that sticks out in my mind is spring break for my kids' school because uh, they announced that they're taking the whole month of April off, and I'll I'll never forget that. It was just so shocking. (laughs) When has this ever happened? They're shutting down school for a month, and all the kids were cheering, and everybody was at the park. I remember standing at the park with all the moms. Nobody was wearing a mask. That was pre. I mean, it was just kind of funny. Isn't this crazy? They're shutting down school for a month because of COVID. Wow, did we not have any idea what was headed our way?
0: Yeah, it's funny. March 16th will always uh, live in infamy for me because the first floor of the, the Radio Ranch building. The American Cancer Society office. The sign up for ages and ages. We'll be closed temporarily on Monday, March 16th. Uh, we'll we we'll update you as, uh, you know, stuff progresses. Well, uh, I, I think they just don't exist anymore in that office two years later. I'm trying to find the stuff on Hong it Kong. It was
1: two weeks to slow the spread? Yeah, two that weeks to, to flatten the
0: curve. To flatten the curve, right. Yeah, yeah. Where the heck is that stuff? Well, the numbers are shocking out of... Uh, Hong Kong, you can take my uh, my word for that. Um, and then I'm looking at these graphs of uh, cases and deaths and the rest of it and how all of the efforts really were, were for naught, um, except getting the vaccines going, which obviously helped. Although there's been a rise in Omicron cases, a pretty significant one with this new, what do they call it, AB2 or something like that um, in Europe. They're getting hammered again, uh, but it's cases at this point. They're afraid deaths are going to start rising. It usually takes a few weeks. Um, but they're keeping a close eye on that. Thing's not over yet. Uh, and then this. This may be my favorite absolutely idiotic COVID story sent along by uh, uh, Kevin, the invaluable COVID correspondent. Uh, are you familiar with the Kyrie Irving story with the Brooklyn Nets? He's Kyrie Irving. That he He's scored a, a 60 superstar. points night before last? 60 points. No, not that. Not that. He's a ball hog. You gotta, ought gotta to dish the rock. You ought to pass it around. Ball movement. Ball movement. Um, but he refuses to get, uh, the, the jab for whatever reason. And I don't particularly care. Um, part of the reason is he's had COVID and is healthier than 99.9% of the planet. So there's no real need for him to get it anyway, but that makes him ineligible to play at home games because of the rules there in, in New York city. Right. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. exact. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the boroughs, um, So he's not allowed to play. The Nets won't let him play. But he can play all their away games. And if he wanted to come to a home Nets game, he could. And he could sit anywhere. And there is a rather dryly amusing uh, color-coded map out of the Barclays Center. The green is fine for Kyrie to be. And the red area is not fine for Kyrie to be. And the green area is the entire stadium. And the red area is
1: the court. So that's interesting. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, I hadn't heard he that angle of it. He could literally clone himself times
0: 15,000 and have 15,000 Kyrie Irvins cheering for everybody but Kyrie Irvin on the court, but he couldn't be on the court. So they,
1: Freaking believable! So they obviously loosened how strict they are for fans in the building, but left it the same for the players. How? how I weird. think the Nets has the have the rule. Okay. Um, well, that's yeah. what Kevin Durant also on the team said last week. He said, "I get at the beginning we didn't know, but he said we have a lot of information now, and this is ridiculous." And uh, yes, right. it is. It is. The
0: California legislature just voted to continue the state of emergency. Voted down a an effort to end it, even though there is are, by no stretch of the imagination an emergency going on right now. It's the
1: history of emergency measures. It's the history of emergencies. It's just the way human beings work. You extend them as long as you can, because if it's an emergency, you get to do all kinds of cool things. It gives you way more power. And, yeah, it's just a, that's why I, I wish it would happen in California. I know it's happened in a lot of states where they've changed their constitutions to make it much more difficult to, uh, to keep emergency powers going. And
0: I would address our friends in the audience and say, look, when we're wrong, we say, hey, I got this one wrong. I want you to admit it'll bring us closer together. Prior to this, when we would go on and on in Orwellian fashion about emergency powers and never give away your rights to the government because they'll never give them back, never give power to government you wouldn't want the other side to have, et cetera, et cetera. Please admit we were right. Okay, that's crazy. At this point,
1: we appreciate it. (laughs) At this point, it's they're still calling it an emergency. Yeah. God help you if you get get an actual emergency. Yeah.
0: No kidding. So, uh, what do you think? Uh, I don't know how you're feeling. Can you hang around a bit, or are you going to go lie down again, or what? I was thinking of playing some highlights from the Zelensky speech this morning. I think I'll listen to that and lie down. I think that's what I'll do. That seems like a plan. Uh, get some rest. Volodymyr Zelensky appearing before Congress eloquently, persuasively, asking for more weapons, maybe a no fly zone, certainly money. Uh, those headlights, headlines, I'm sorry, and highlights coming up next. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty.
3: The Armstrong and Getty Show. There are two things which make a difference for them, uh, though they do not openly recognize that. The first one is the impact of sanctions. They may say 100 times that everything is fine and they don't care about the sanctions imposed on them, but this is not true. This is the factor that really puts pressure on them and forces them to soften their position.
0: That's uh, Dmitry Kuleba, who's the Ukrainian foreign minister, talking to Brett Baer last night. Really interesting uh, interview. Uh, let's roll on with clip number 61.
3: And the second factor is, of course, the success of Ukrainian forces on the battleground. This is uh, why we call on countries to ensure sustainable supplies of weapons to Ukraine, weapons which will be helping us to defend our country. Every time we gain success... On the battleground on the field in the field uh, we see that russia makes a slight move uh, in negotiations towards you know being more constructive and accepting some of our some of our proposals so sanctions and weapons these are the things that can change the situation on the ground we will do we ukrainians will do the rest of the job
0: now as to the Russian side of that calculation during the peace talks which I've called phony um we're going to talk to a reporter who was recently tossed out of Russia or or left to his own safety about the uh the state of play for putin in the kremlin and how the russian people are feeling that sort of thing really looking forward to that during the next segment but back to the question of arming the ukrainians volodymyr zelensky having addressed the u.s congress uh, earlier today an eloquent speech um uh, partly delivered in english it included a video of beautiful vital ukrainian cities now reduced to rubble the bloodletting, the death of children and, and innocents and civilians and just the horrific devastation. Then he, he, he finished in English uh, a very eloquent and powerful plea for Joe Biden to lead the free world to defend freedom. Uh, good stuff. But what does that mean? How What will the result of that be? Well, the Biden administration has uh, announced as we discussed last segment uh, about $800 billion or so dollars in additional uh, military aid and According to a number of news sources, um, and I believe this to be solid news, the Biden administration is considering providing Ukraine with U.S.-made killer drones, uh, the so-called switchblades, cutting-edge guided missiles that could accurately target Russian tanks and artillery positions from miles away, according to two congressional officials briefed on the matter. No decisions have been made, but the officials said the White House is mulling whether to equip Ukraine with explosives-laden, explosives-laden loitering missiles called switchblades as part of a new package of military aid that is being discussed now as we speak. There are two variants of the weapon: the switchblade 300 and the 600, that have been sold to U.S. Special Ops Command by manufacturer Aerovironment which is a uh, domestic. They're an American company. The 300 is designed for pinpoint strikes on personnel. The larger 600 is meant to destroy tanks and other armored vehicles. Uh, the switchblades are essentially robotic smart bombs equipped with cameras, guidance systems, and explosives. They can be programmed to automatically strike targets miles away, and they can be steered around objectives until the time is right to strike. The company says the 600 can fly for 40 minutes and up to 50 miles. So again, the idea of it being—it's not a drone exactly because it doesn't—it it, it doesn't fire a projectile; it fires itself. Uh, they've been dubbed kamikaze drones, but they're much, much cheaper. Interestingly enough, than the Hellfire missiles fired by U.S. Reaper drones, the 300 can cost as little as $6,000 by some estimates. And if you're familiar at all with the cost of armaments they're they're just dizzying honestly both weapons can be set up in minutes and launched from tubes they fly much faster than the turkish built drones that the ukraine has been using to inflict inflict damage on russia And it's assumed they'd be able to penetrate the spotty air defenses Russia's maintaining over its forces pretty effectively. So if the switchblades were given to Ukraine, it could result in the most significant use of the weapon to combat uh, in combat to date. The U.S. military used the switchblade in combat under limited circumstances in Afghanistan and probably somewhere else, but they haven't publicized the fact. It's very hush-hush. So it's not clear what sort of stock there is of these things. Or how fast they can be cranked out, or indeed, if the Biden administration will even decide to to hand those over to the Ukrainians. Uh, but that is in play, and I suspect, you know, if I'm reading the room correctly, the free world, NATO, uh, the U.S. government, United States citizens uh, want to do more to help Ukraine beat back the Russian advance. Um, and this would seem to be a next step that's still well short of a no-fly zone or anything like that. Uh, more to come, including a reporter based in Moscow, next. Armstrong Stay with and
3: us. Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people it depends on those next to you on those who are strong strong doesn't mean weak strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world for human rights for freedom for the right to live decently And to die, when your time comes. Now I'm almost 45 years old. Today my age stopped when the hearts of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop
1: the death.
0: Vladimir Zelensky in front of the United States Congress today speaking via video feed obviously uh, pleading for more help, more sanctions, more weapons, airplanes and no uh, no fly zone if possible um, and that uh, those pleas are going to be answered at least in part and we'll get back into that a moment in a moment or two. We're hoping to line up Felix Light who was uh, reporting from Moscow until very recently Jack talked to him I believe it was last week when I was off. Um like to talk to him about the state of affairs in Russia and, and the feelings of the Russian people, and, and we're trying to track him down, so stay with us for that. Uh, Pr- President Vlad Putin hinted that the Kremlin is preparing to further crack down on dissidents and anyone with ties to the West, saying that Russia's enemies were betting on a, quote, fifth column on national traitors inside the country who were, quote, not with our people, not with Russia. So that is straight out of the dictator's handbook. Uh, he knows he has made a terrible blunder, terrible misstep. He understands that dissatisfaction and anger are growing within his country, perhaps even within his military. And so he is making it infinitely clear that anybody who dares voice that dissatisfaction, that unhappiness, that anger, that desire to get him the hell out of power is going to uh, face his Iron Fist. Again, not surprising at all. As the pressure grows, the dictator squeezes harder, and whether he remains with a firm grip on the state or whether the state goes out between his fingers, as the old metaphor says, uh, is unclear at this point. I wouldn't bet on his demise, but eh, might be a decent uh, 20-to-1 bet. So getting back to... What we can do for Volodymyr Zelensky and the brave people of Ukraine facing off against this much uh, larger force, they're not going to get their nose no fly zone, and that would be of limited usefulness anyway. It, not useless, not I don't I don't want to dismiss it, but for the incredible difficulty and risk involved in instituting it, most of what is beset Ukraine at this point really wouldn't be dealt with by a NATO enforced no fly zone. Anyway, again, not useless, but there are other ways. For instance, devastating new uh, weapon systems, surface-to-air missiles, uh, this switchblade system that we've been talking about, um, which is, if you were not listening last segment, it's, it's called a loitering bomb or a smart drone. It can circle the target and wait and wait and wait. And then... When the time has come, it gets its instructions and it attacks, and it's said to be devastating. The UK is only is the only foreign country that so far been authorized to purchase the Switchblade. I have a feeling there are meetings going on right now, uh trying to decide whether and how to equip the Ukrainians with that weapon system. A little more on some of the other. Uh, concrete things that are being done for Ukraine after a conversation with Felix Light, reporter with CBS Radio News and the Moscow Times, until recently based in Moscow. Uh, Felix, hello, how are you, sir? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. Uh, It's our pleasure, and I understand you talked to my partner a couple of times while I was on break uh, from Moscow. If you don't mind my asking, uh, why the change in uh, locale?
4: Uh, Well, you know, like a lot of colleagues, uh, you know, I sort of came to the opinion that it was, it was becoming a little bit hot in Moscow. You know, there was uh, sort of in the week after the war began, there was a new law on war censorship introduced, uh, which kind of mandated these 15-year uh, jail sentences for what the Russians de- determined as sort of fake news about the, uh, the Russian army. And that can really be anything, you know. Uh, it can be something from sort of reporting something from the Ukrainian side. But also, most worryingly of all, it can even be sort of referring to the war as a war or as an invasion or as an offensive, because, of course, the Russians uh, want this sort of this, this operation to be known as a special military operation. It's this kind of euphemism that they've come up with. So, you know, in those circumstances, with the war being, you know, really the only story on the agenda, it wasn't really possible to continue reporting in the way that, you know, you want to for audiences in a free country.
0: Right, fair enough, and and you and I both know that the judgment as to whether you'd violated those new laws would be entirely arbitrary and there's no appeals process, which made it all the more surprising when that young Russian news editor who bravely held up the anti-war banner during the newscast, she was released after an extended interrogation. I was surprised to see her released. What's your reaction?
4: Yeah, I think everyone was really surprised to see her released, to be quite honest. You know, uh, this is not a country where sort of... Uh, You know, there's a huge amount of forgiveness uh, meted out to people who, you know, buck the the Kremlin line in such a spectacular way as well. You know, but I would say that her uh, particular sort of legal tribulations are not quite over. Uh, the, the lady in question, Marina Avtenikova, who, uh, you know, if, if the listeners don't know, uh, held up a placard sort of denouncing the war and, and her own employee, her own employer, rather, on state TV during a nightly news broadcast uh, two nights ago. She has been fined a, a small sum of money uh, for what, uh, for, for a, actually for a video that she recorded beforehand, her actual protest. Uh, the, the, the courts have not quite reached that, and there is some indication that she could at least be tried under this uh, military fake news law that I spoke about earlier.
0: Ah, so it wouldn't be the, uh, you know, the dictator 101, she just gets disappeared, they will go through the the trouble of uh, staging a kangaroo court and the rest of it. Okay, now I get it. All right, oh, interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So during your time in Moscow, I know that it's difficult to generalize uh, when you're talking about an enormous country geographically with a large population. But did you get a feel from the people, how they felt about the war? Is dissent dissatisfaction growing? Is it young people more than old?
4: What, What are your impressions? But I think it's an interesting question. You know, um, this war contrasts, I think, quite strong to the reaction to the uh, annexation of Crimea eight years ago. You know, that really was a consensus option. You know, the country was very broadly behind the idea of taking Crimea. You know, they saw it as sort of Russian land, you know, as, that had been sort of uh, unrightly sort of assigned to Ukraine by the Soviet Union sort of uh, 70 years ago. And so that really was a popular move. This, I think, is not so much, you know, opinion polls generally show that probably a little bit more than half of the Russian population back to the war, but they do that in the context of sort of pervasive sort of media censorship and, you know, it, it, it really has to be said that the Russia, average Russian who watches TV and reads sort of the state-controlled newspapers is not getting an accurate picture of the war. They are seeing sort of, uh, you know, a much more limited operation, certainly no bombing of Kiev, and one that is sort of uh, mounted to save sort of the oppressed Russian speakers of Ukraine from the Ukrainian government. And even then, I think, you know, we're not getting a, uh, that, that sort of propaganda picture is not building up a big sort of uh, block in favor of the war, you know. I think we, we, we see a large minority of Russians that are clearly opposed to the war. You see Ukraine as a very close country to them sort of uh, politically, historically, culturally, and they don't want to fight with Ukraine. And I think this demographic is generally a bit more urban, a bit younger, a bit more educated uh than what in sort of the Russian population at large. In many ways, it's the kind of people who used to come out for Alexei Navalny, that jailed opposition leader. Certainly, you know, me, when I was living in Moscow, or some city I certainly hope to return to, uh, sort of friends of mine who would be from this sort of, opposition-minded, young, educated, slightly kind of intellectual set. They are almost universally against the war. And I think that sort of really says a lot about the divide in Moscow right now.
0: I know you're in London right now, Felix Light, reporter for the CBS Radio News and Moscow Times. If you were to go down to your local bookmaker's shop and they were uh, laying odds on the likelihood of Putin being booted out of power, uh, what do you suppose those odds might be?
4: Oh wow, that's the million dollar question. You know, that's an incredibly difficult one. You know, I think that you know we probably underestimated in the lead up to this how much sort of power had been really concentrated personally within the hands of Putin. You know, I don't think I don't know if you will remember that extraordinary scene where Putin sort of dressed down members of his security council and sort of heckled them as they were sort of invited to give their opinions on the Ukrainian situation. You know, before the mm-hmm. war. Right. This was a man who's, you know, firmly, firmly, in charge of security, who is the undisputed processing of the inner circle. That being said, it's clear that the war is not going the way it was intended to go. There is uh, I think a lot of sort of anger among the business community, possibly also among uh, among, uh people sort of, in the security services who have been sort of I think, for the failures of the Russian army in Ukraine. So a lot of pets are off right now, and I really couldn't tell you how sort of, uh, affairs in Russia will develop in, in the future, but I think it's going to be a fascinating time, and we will really see sort of how strong Putin is in the country is in the future, I think.
0: Right, indeed. Felix Light of uh, CBS Radio News and the Moscow Times, we appreciate your time very much. Great insights. Thanks. We hope to do it again.
4: Thank you very much.
0: Our pleasure. Uh, So, yeah, the the idea of uh, Putin increasingly concentrating the power in his own hands and humiliating, uh, scapegoating his intelligence uh, services. Uh, As a student of dictatorial regimes uh, for my entire adult life, I will tell you this. um, That is a a double-edged sword. And I'm reminded of a friend who used to say, Joe, every sword is double-edged except for a saber. He was an obnoxious guy. Anyway, but funny. Uh, It's a double-edged sword in that you concentrate all that power in your hands. Obviously, you have the power. On the other hand, every government has a support structure. And the narrower your support structure, the more likely it is that people who ain't in it are going to get tired of it and want to get rid of you. If you're a democratically elected leader... Barring the possibility that you've committed a high crime or misdemeanor or, or something like that, or you lose your mind, you go senile, for instance, not thinking of anyone in particular, just throwing that out there. Uh, it's almost impossible to remove you from power because you have incredibly broad support, the people. As you get into a more autocratic regime, you have the oligarchs, you have the military, maybe you have the bankers, and that's great. That's probably enough. That's probably plenty. You got the money and the guns. That's plenty but if you make a major misstep like putin has and are starting to hang people out to dry and humiliate them and all of a sudden the oligarchs ain't got no yachts and the bankers can't do no banking all of a sudden that support structure starts to get a little wobbly so i agree with felix light that is one of the most interesting questions going forward and one i hope to live long enough to see unfold we're going to finish strong next
3: armstrong and get The Armstrong and Getty show You must understand one thing. There are some cities in Ukraine which do not exist anymore. Raised from the from the surface of this planet. They do not exist because they were bombed to zero.
2: I have a dream. These words are known to each of you. Today I can say I have a need. I need to protect our our sky. I need your decision, your help, which means exactly the same, the same you feel when you hear the words, I have a dream. In the darkest time for our country, for the whole Europe, I call on you to do more New packages of sanctions are needed constantly, every week, until the Russian military machine stops. Restrictions are needed for everyone on whom this unjust regime is based. So
0: Volodymyr Zelensky addressing Congress and the president today, asking for more arms, more sanctions... A no-fly zone if he can get it, although that's not going to happen. Uh, not even Lindsey Graham's in favor of that, and Lindsey's in favor of everything. Um, but it is pretty clear that we are going to help them out with some more arms. And, Michael, make sure we have time for uh, the Granny of the Year, our favorite Ukrainian granny in clip 30. Uh, not right now, but uh, soon. Um so we were talking about this switchblade drones, loitering bombs. They call them. They're half a drone and half a bomb. They circle above, they watch, they wait, and then when you tell them to go in, they go in and, and can cause either uh, pinpoint damage in the case of one of the uh, switchblade drones, or uh, like anti tank size explosions in the case of the more uh, the bigger one, the more expensive one. And they're they're actually extremely inexpensive. I couldn't believe it. When I saw the figure, I mean, like six grand or something like that, if that's accurate. Anyway, but that's not the only thing, uh, that we're, we're talking about. We being the United States sources with knowledge of the matter said Ukraine is asking the Biden administration for armed drones, anti ship missiles, off the shelf type electronic jamming equipment that they just have in short supply and surface to air missiles that can strike aircraft at higher altitudes. Um, the wish list recently submitted to Washington by Ukraine also includes a request for more portable Stinger anti-aircraft missiles and Javelin anti-tank weapons, which have already proved crucial in the fight against the larger, better-armed Russian force. Um, they're also asking for electronic warfare-type equipment with uh, satellite navigation, communications jam, and that sort of thing, as we mentioned, and ground-based communication to oversee drones, sources said. Uh, there's a lot we can do that doesn't include a no-fly zone. They want every uh, Russian above the rank of local postman uh, to be sanctioned. That could happen. Um, I think there's more that's going to be done, and we're probably going to hear about it uh, before the end of the day. Michael, hit us with that clip, please. Granny of the Year 30.
2: Just down the road, I meet Nina Chitalyuk, who seems like a sweet 71-year-old grandmother. By the way, Nina says that
1: if she saw Vladimir Putin, she would strangle him with her own hands right now.
3: I'm ready, she says. If by God the Russians come here, I'll shoot them all and my hands won't even shake. I'll throw grenades at them.
0: You go, Granny, you go. I believe it.
2: It's final thoughts energy.
4: It's final thoughts energy.
0: And here's your host for Final Thoughts, me. Let's get a final thought from everybody who's still standing. Beginning with our technical director, he's pressing the buttons, keeping us on the air, Michelangelo. Michael, final thought? Yeah, you know, we've been talking about all these different types of weapons today, and I've just, the experience of shooting a missile off your shoulder, that has got to be something. I mean, I've played, you know, with fireworks and explosives, but that would be a cool experience. I mean, I know war is very serious, but using some of these weapons would be an amazing experience to have that much power in your hand is something anybody who's ever fired a gun knows uh, what you're
1: talking about young alex is our behind the scenes producer alex a final thought for us you know we're reaching the time of year where everything's starting to bloom in this country and become beautiful baseballs around the corner i'd like to remind people with everything that's crazy going on in the world it can be easy to fall into a news cycle of just doom and gloom take time to step outside smell of flowers get some fresh air today
0: yeah, great idea. Great idea. And connect with the the people that you care about to remind you what life's all about. I'm sure Jack's uh, final thought would be, I wish I felt better as he has been afflicted with the bug that's going through his household. You remember back when you were either healthy or you had COVID? There's nothing else. Um Well, I guess, please welcome back every other disease we've ever had. Uh, but we certainly hope Jack gets well and can rejoin us as soon as possible. Uh, My final thought uh, is, number one, we need to help the Ukrainians any way we can, but I wanted to end on a lighter note. I almost clicked on this clickbait, but I can see enough to share this with you. It's when uh, social media accounts for corporations uh, got wise Acrey and I love this. Somebody uh, tweets at Wendy's, Wendy's needs to get rid of the square burger. It seems a little too artificial. And the Wendy's Twitter account tweets back, unlike the supernatural circle shape that hamburgers come in when you pick them off the vine. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. Hotlinks, the podcast, swag, it's all there. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless America and Ukraine.
2: Armstrong and Getty. That's why we're here today.
0: I expected more. Their behavior has been nothing short of uh, thuggish.
3: You're locking up my toothpaste. It's not a bad idea. Don't get me wrong. I think we'll put it on the table. Are you
2: shitting Oh, and he said some bad words. Let's not go through this again. I have a dream. These words are known to each of you. Today I can Say, I have a need. I need your help, which means exactly the same. When you hear the words, I have a dream. Armstrong and Getty.